This is Radio Energy News. Good afternoon and welcome to today's EN4 News programme for Wednesday the 3rd of February. I'm David Hogg and coming up on today's programme, the AstraZeneca vaccine has proven to substantially curb the spread of the coronavirus. We will talk to our reporter Sasha Caldwell outside the scene to get an idea on how the vaccine is getting on in Edinburgh. It's February which means it's LGBTQ plus history month so we'll look into the past and present of HIV awareness and have a chat with Professor Tim Wilson who lived through the HIV and AIDS epidemic. Um, but I was very much aware of it going on around me. Um, and uh, it was terrifying, actually. And we'll be finding out the challenges of digital dating during lockdown without ever meeting your partner in person. When we did finally meet up, I wasn't sure what to expect. I'd grew such intense feelings for this person I'd never physically touched. I wanted to be the perfect girlfriend for this person that I loved. Our top story today. According to scientists, the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine could lead to a substantial fall in the spread of coronavirus. The study, which has not been formally published, also showed the vaccine remained effective while people waited for a second dose. Health Secretary Matt Hancock has hailed the results of the study on social media as absolutely superb. This publication about the Oxford vaccine should give everyone confidence that this jab works not only to keep you safe, but also to stop you from passing on the disease to others. Nicola Sturgeon has announced that Scotland will be in full lockdown until at least the end of February. In her announcement, she said that nurses as well as primary one to three children will return to schools on the 22nd of February as part of a phased return. There will also be a very limited return of senior pupils to allow for completion of necessary coursework for national qualifications. And mass vaccination centres opened across Scotland on Monday. Scotland has been criticised for lagging behind England in terms of vaccination rates. Could these new vaccination centres help Scotland catch up and meet the targets? Our reporter Sorsha Caldwell is currently at the Edinburgh International Conference Centre to tell us more. So Sorsha, what's the atmosphere like outside the new vaccination centre? It's a great day outside the Edinburgh International Conference Centre, which has been made into a vaccination centre during the pandemic. For over 70s though, it's the day they have all been waiting for for almost a year. It comes with the good news that the AstraZeneca vaccine has been found to curb the virus. There aren't any queues outside the vaccination centre yet, and it's well organised with stickers on the ground, so that social distancing can be adhered to. There's a steady stream of older people waiting to get vaccinated, with security guards outside and sanitizer provided. Scotland hit a record number of vaccinations on Monday with almost 35,000 people receiving their first dose of the jab following the opening of the new centres. As of Tuesday the 2nd of February, more than 60,000 people in Scotland have received their first dose of the injection. It comes as a stark contrast to Sunday's vaccination figure of just 9.6 million. However, Scotland now needs to be vaccinating around 40,000 people a day in order to meet its target of giving the first dose to the over 70s and the clinically extremely vulnerable by the 15th of February. Scotland has been heavily criticised for sitting behind England in terms of vaccination rates. As of yesterday, Scotland had given the first dose to 13.5% of the population in comparison to England's 18.4%. First Minister Nicola Sturgeon said that Scotland's vaccine programme had concentrated on care homes, making sure Scotland maximises uptake in these clinically vulnerable groups. However, opposition parties have accused the First Minister of being in denial 
about the pace of the vaccine rollout in Scotland. I spoke to the Conservative councillor for Southside and Newington, Cameron Rose, who said that despite some concern for residents, the vaccine had been well received in Edinburgh. Most people are welcoming it and a lot of people are seeing it as they get out of jail cart for the lockdown and for all the negative effects of um, imposing the lockdown as well. So I, I think generally people are welcoming it. I do have a number of people who are less enthusiastic about the vaccine and who are keen to wait and see um, what side effects are like, if anything. Um, because it's been fast-tracked. The regulatory process has been fast-tracked and that leaves some concern with some. The vast majority of people are welcoming it and focus is on the speed of delivery. A new report today by one of the UK's top schools of economics casts doubts on the stability of an independent Scotland. The report suggests that the damage to Scotland's income could be two or three times worse than Brexit. Our reporter Brendan Duggan has more on the story. Scottish independents seem to be picking up momentum over the last few months. The vast majority of polls have shown support for an independent Scotland rising, and First Minister Nicola Sturgeon has said she'd consider an SNP landslide at the upcoming Scottish elections as a green light. But a report published today by the London School of Economics and Political Science finds that an independent Scotland would be considerably poorer according to The Economists. They write that whilst the cost of Brexit will reduce Scotland's long-term income by 2%, an independent Scotland post-Brexit would be two or three times worse. SNP ministers have suggested that a referendum could take place as soon as next December. I asked MSP Douglas Chapman if this report will affect the SNP's plans for independence. I don't think anything like this will get in the way of our plans. Uh, you know, as I said, um, we, we expect uh, quite a lot of commentary uh, around uh, the future of Scotland and uh, you know, what we need to focus on is seeing independence as part of our um, COVID and Brexit recovery. I think when academics look at a, 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 an economy or, or whatever the topic is in a certain way, then you know, they may reach conclusions. But you know, what we're looking for is a much more um, dynamic economy in terms of where Scotland needs to be. Uh, I think we, we, we know that uh, we've got huge resources that we can exploit in Scotland. While Scotland has been hit hard by the post-Brexit customs controls, the report does say that rejoining the EU might not make up for the loss in trade with the rest of the UK. UK countries make up 60% of Scottish imports and exports. The Scottish Conservatives have been openly against another Scottish independence referendum. I asked Conservative MSP Jeremy Balfour about the Conservative Party's thoughts on the report. Economically, there is going to be a massive issue for any new Scottish economy. And the support and the help that comes from being part of the rest of the United Kingdom um, and the way that we've been able to deal with this particular crisis because of the four nations working together. The report does mention that Brexit will have a negative effect on the long-term income of Scotland. Well, I mean, I think Brexit has happened... So I think we have to recognise that, that there is no going back on that. It's, um, I don't know whether, whether we will remain as or leave us. The issue has now been settled and uh, the United Kingdom is out with the European Union. Uh, however, I think there's fresh opportunities there. The SNP Economy Secretary, Fiona Heislop, in a statement to EN4 News said, The study is clear that it takes no account of any changes in migration policy, inward investment 
or any economic levers the Scottish Government would have control of in an independent Scotland. There is no reason whatsoever that Scotland could not emulate the success of independent countries of our size. Brendan dug in there on that report that suggests that Scotland's income could be harmed by a successful independence referendum. And now with more of today's news from home and abroad, here's Veronica Contopolo with the latest headlines. Starting with a recap of today's First Minister's questions, the First Minister announced that 978 new cases and 88 deaths have been recorded in the last 24 hours in Scotland. Sturgeon also confirmed that a total of 649,262 Scots have received their first dose of the vaccine. This comes a few hours before the UK reaching the vaccination milestone of 10 million. Scotland Secretary Alistair Jack will now be offering Nicola Sturgeon UK government support for vaccine rollout following complaints over delays. MSPs expressed deep worries over vaccine distribution and allocation issues throughout the parliamentary session. The UK will be paying tribute to the inspirational Captain Sir Tom Moore today, who died of coronavirus yesterday evening. Up and down the nation, flags will be lowered to half-mast until 8pm. The 100-year-old became a national hero when he remarkably raised over £32 million for the NHS by walking 100 laps around his garden during the first lockdown. In honour of the veteran's memory, Prime Minister Boris Johnson will be leading a national clap at 6pm this evening. He released a statement yesterday commemorating Sir Tom's legacy. Captain Sir Tom Moore was a hero in the truest sense of the word. In the dark days of the Second World War, he fought for freedom and in the face of this country's deepest post-war crisis, he united us all. He cheered us all up and he embodied the triumph of the human spirit. The Scottish Parliament will be voting this afternoon on whether to investigate the Trump Organisation. The vote could spell the Scottish Government's launch of an investigation into the financing of Donald Trump's golf resorts in Scotland. In the run-up to the vote, a protester appeared outside of Parliament this morning, dressed in a clad suit, a Donald Trump mask and a sign stating, Investigate me. In international news, ousted Myanmar leader Aung Suu Kyi is facing charges for breaches of the country's import and export laws and possession of illegal communication devices. The democratically elected civilian leader was detained during a military coup on Monday and has not been heard from since. Myanmar's military has seized power and declared a state of emergency in the country for one year. Civilians are now honking car horns and banging pots and pans in protest, while doctors have gone on strike to oppose the coup. And finally, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos has announced that he is stepping down as chief executive. The world's richest man founded the e-commerce company in his garage nearly 30 years ago. In a letter explaining his decision to his fellow Amazonians, Bezos said that he is now demoting himself to executive chairman to focus his time and energy on other passions such as the Bezos Earth Fund, the Washington Post and space exploration with his company Blue Origin. Bezos will be replaced by Andy Jassy, currently in charge of Amazon's cloud computing business. Now, according to Women's Enterprise Scotland, only 20% of businesses are owned by women. With that in mind, the Royal Bank of Scotland recently announced £100 million of extra funding for Scottish female entrepreneurs. 
So we want to know what it's like for female business owners and how they build a community and support each other in an otherwise male-dominated field. Joining me now are two entrepreneurs, Jenny Benson, who's in tourism and online retail, and Rhiannon Loudon, who's in the photography industry. Good afternoon to you both. So Jenny, you started a Facebook group for young women entrepreneurs in Scotland earlier this year. So what inspired you to do this? There's so many, so much support in Scotland, and there's a lot of different groups um, that, that run and, and do really good events and everything, and I'm part of a lot of them. Um, but I do find that for, particularly for young women entrepreneurs in Scotland, there is a gap there. I feel like we're not we're not connected in one place at all. Um, and so I'm really, really excited to connect with other young yeah. women in Scotland. So now that there is that place to connect like minded people, just how important is it as an entrepreneur to have a network like that? So important, I think. I think it's like something when you first go into entrepreneurship, it's scary and it's so, I feel like it feels very professional and you should have this image of yourself and you should carry yourself in a certain way. But actually networking doesn't actually have to be like that. And that's why I created the Young Women Entrepreneurs Group is you you actually just want to have shared experiences with people who are going through the same thing as you whilst also hopefully getting clients and stuff but I think there's space for both within networking. Now Rhiannon moving on to you you moved from Canada over to Scotland to set up your business can you tell us a bit about what that experience was like because I imagine that must have been pretty daunting to begin with. So at first it was quite isolating I felt like when I would bring up to people the types of work I did they had no idea what I was talking about because most of these are sort of smaller non-profits and arts organizations from central Canada which no one's really going to know about over here and I just kind of thought I'm going to do this I want to work for myself so for me a lot of it was networking was meeting other people other sort of especially female small business owners and I found that really inspiring every time I was thinking I'm never going to get anywhere with this knowing that there were other people who struggled when they were starting out to really helped me to build it up And then when I had my daughter, Charlie, I was like, right, I want her to see not only me building up my own business. So she knows that like the sky is the limit. But if you look at what percent of businesses are women led, it's a very small percentage. I think for a long time, men really dominated the sort of entrepreneurial landscape. Um, And it's really nice to see women kind of kind of getting up there and evening out those numbers a bit. Yeah, completely. So how does a support group like Jenny support you? having this community of people it sounds like a silly thing Mm -hmm. but actually it's so so important because before I started my own business I only knew one person that had a small business and I think had I not managed to connect with loads of other women who you know also started a business from scratch or built up several businesses or whatever their position was that was like the motivation and encouragement that I needed to keep going absolutely and on top of what you said before Rhiannon as well like the startup community in particular, not just business in general, but startup uh, is still dominated by men. If you think about, can you, how many female entrepreneurs, successful female entrepreneurs, can you actually name? I think even just in the sense of community, having role models within the community is really important. Now you've both mentioned there the struggles of working in a predominantly male field. Jenny, could you give our listeners a specific example of the struggles that you face, particularly with you and your business partner both being young females? I was up at Inverness hiring because we have tours in Inverness and we have a lot of male guides up there. And I was out with um, one of our new male guides and we were all, it was me, my business partner, who are both young, you know, young 20s women and this 50 year old man. 
and we walked into a church to speak to them about you know what how we could work with them how if we could bring people in etc the woman instantly spoke to my guide who you know who was below me technically you know I was the one who was going and speak to her um, and it was just such an eye-opener I was like why why is this still why is this still a thing why can't you speak to me and and on top of that as well when I when we interview people you can see the shock on their face when they walk into the interview room and there's two women sitting behind two young women sitting behind the interview desk you know it's like why are these people running company so we need to change we need to change that we need to show that young women can run successful companies yeah of course well it's great to see the enthusiasm and positivity that you both have thank you so much for sharing that was jenny benson and rhiannon loudon talking about the importance of female community in business still to come on today's en4 news program we'll be looking into the ongoing proposal for a brand new water sports center in granton i think the idea of a new huge water sports activity center is a really good idea following an important win for hibs last night we've got jake gray with today's sports news and we've got that look into the online dating scene during a pandemic, including some dating tips from the founder of Flirtology. You've got to show some sexuality. That is part of what flirting is. But first, February marks LGBTQ plus history month. And one thing that has sadly plagued the history of gay men is HIV and AIDS when it was discovered in the 80s. HIV still affects over 100,000 people in the UK and there remains a lot of prejudice about the virus. Our reporter Keen Webster found out more about the state of HIV today and how it shaped the past. HIV was once one of the biggest killers in the UK. The uncurable virus was at one time a death sentence. However, now with research and advances in medicine, someone can expect to live a normal, healthy life. 27-year-old Jay Hutchison is HIV positive, explained his day-to-day -day life. Um, in all honesty, it is, I mean, it's, it's a paradox for me to have HIV because with my medication, um, I take two pills a day at midday every day, and that's all I need to do for the rest of my life. And that will ensure that HIV has absolutely no impact on me or anybody else. Um, you know, I can engage however I would like with a partner and they were at 0.0% risk of catching HIV from me because it is that contained with my medication. Jay has also gained over 40,000 followers on TikTok where he uses this platform in attempt to reduce prejudice and stigma. I literally started it out of frustration because I was like I need to find a way to just share this information with people. I had you know I was just throwing things at the wall and seeing what stuck and I think that TikTok has become a really valuable place because especially with even even the negative comments and the hate like i i know that i'm comfortable with my status and i know that nobody's opinion is going to change that nobody's going to make me feel shamed for it nobody's going to make me feel guilty for it because i've gone through my journey over over a year now and i've accepted what's happened why it's happened and i am completely at peace with my journey but i know for a lot of people that they will be where I've been previously, where they've been struggling, they are still feeding into these ideas, their society is still pushing this false agenda onto them, and they may be feeling isolated, lost and confused, as I was. As Jay mentioned, his treatment means that the virus is undetectable within him, making it untransmittable. Dr Richard Sloan, lecturer of infection medicine at Edinburgh University, feels this, coupled with preventative medicines such as PrEP, is the best way to help stop the spread. I think it's the biggest tool in our armory. I often teach my students that probably the development of therapy was probably the most important medical intervention of the last century. Uh, and it is the, the gift that keeps on giving. 
uh, millions of lives have been saved and could be saved by it. PrEP as well, I mean, so this is a fantastic thing. And if you think about the, the ability of somebody who's maybe not sure if they're going to make the right choices to protect themselves or not in the right position or relationship to be able to negotiate if and when they have sex, then, you know, this allows them protection to that extent. Such treatments, however, weren't always available. 59-year-old professor Tim Wilson, former contestant on Channel 4's The Circle, told us what it was like living in Oxford during the heyday of HIV. It bypassed me, um, but I was very much aware of it going on around me. Um, and uh, it was terrifying, actually. I was aware of um, people sort of disappearing from the community. Uh, it was very much more evident from the friends that I had uh, in London, in the arts community, in the theatre community. But I, I, I seem to recall there were, there were a few people in Oxford at the time. And, and it was just that sense that, um, you know, it could be anybody. There's a really touching scene, again, in It's a Sin, where one of the main characters says, uh, um, says to his mother, I've, I've not been dirty. And it was just so touching. I just think, you, you know, this is a medical, um, a, 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 an epidemic, and must be treated as such. It's not an act of... God. I, that, that, that goes to the heart of the title. Charities across the UK offer free HIV tests. The advice is, get tested and keep safe. That was our reporter Keaton Webster about the state of HIV in the UK today. Now situated along the Firth of Forth, Granton is the jewel in the crown of Edinburgh's coastal communities. The district is no stranger to change and redevelopment. The Edinburgh City Council has recently received a proposal for a brand new water sports centre. Our reporter Lena Brosowin has more on what it could mean for the people of Granton. A planning request has been submitted to the Edinburgh City Council for the construction of a new water sports centre. The new Boardfast Centre would be erected at Silvernold Beach and serve the community as an activity centre, offering changing facilities, storage, a retail outlet and a cafe. If the seasonal water sports centre is approved, it would be open from 10am to 8pm daily through April until September. The application has already been approved by the Granton Waterfront Board. Jim Campbell is a councillor in the Fall Ward of Edinburgh. Campbell shed some lights on what a new water sports centre would mean for Edinburgh residents. It provides potentially leisure activity, but it also brings in possibly new people into the area to take part and provides some investment and potentially some employment. But I think more than that, it just continues to raise the profile of Granton and the Granton waterfront within Edinburgh. This water sports centre is one of many new sites to be erected in the Granton area as part of a long attempt to regenerate this part of the city. Will it be a while for the centre to be fully put in place? The regeneration of Granton um, has already probably gone on for almost half of my life <laughs> and, and we're talking about maybe another 15 years so I mean it, that's a very long-term project so yeah you could argue that um, perhaps we need to focus a little bit more in achieving some concrete outcomes and whether or not the water centre at Cranmond is one of those I don't know. Despite the welcome news of a water sports centre for some the project has been met with some scepticism for others. 
Maggie Williams is a student who enjoys spending time in coastal areas around the city. Would you say, Maggie, that you are excited by the idea of a water sports centre in close reach of the city? I think the idea of a new huge water sports activity centre is a really good idea. From my experience, I do quite a lot of surfing and wild swimming. I just think being in water is so therapeutic and so good for mental health. That's especially important at the moment. Do you have any concerns about it, though? The water quality uh, at Granton, you know, I've heard that um, on the grapevine that it is quite dodgy and that it's not always that clean. And so personally, you know, if I was going to be going there, I would want to know that the water is clean and safe. The project has raised concern with local marine biologist Sam Freeman. Although a good opportunity for environmental education and sustainable living, the plan would need a thorough environmental impact assessment. Freeman explains further. It would have to be carefully managed during development. They would have to do their due diligence um, and, and making sure that all environmental impacts of this uh, water sports centre are not significant. Only time will tell if Ground in Edinburgh does end up with a new water sports centre. Future developments on this project and whether it will sink or swim is up to the Edinburgh City Council. Lena brought one there with the proposed water sports centre development in Granton. Now last night saw a big win for Hibs and it's Derby Day in Fife, so here's Jake Gray with more of today's sports news. Hibs leapfrogged Aberdeen into third place in the Scottish Premiership after a 2-1 away win to St Mirren last night. Elsewhere in the Premiership, Livingston extended their unbeaten run to 14 games after a 2-0 win away against Aberdeen and Celtic recorded their biggest win since September, beating Kilmarnock 4-0 at Rugby Park. It's Derby Day in Fife as Dunfermline welcome local rivals Wraith Rovers to East End Park tonight. A win for either side would see them pull away from their opponents as they are currently joint second and level on points. Scott Ingalls is a football reporter at Fife today. I know it's sitting on the fence a wee bit here, but I think it's genuinely too close to call. Dunfermline are a bit more solid at the back, and I think, if anything, that might just edge it towards Dunfermline's favour tonight. The Elite Ice Hockey League has abandoned its playing season without playing a single match. A shortened season was planned, but with coronavirus restrictions remaining in place, these plans have been scrapped. The league will now restart in September for the 2021-22 season. Today is Women in Sports Day, dedicated to all the amazing sportswomen around the world. Our reporter, Kerry Pollock, has more. Today marks the 35th annual celebration of Women in Sport Day, highlighting women from all around the world in all sports coming together to celebrate their achievements. Unfortunately, last year the coronavirus pandemic put a lot of strain on celebrations of all shapes and sizes, and continues to do so. Robert Wilson, Marketing and Communications Officer for Scottish Women's Football, explained to Ian Fornes how the pandemic has posed hurdles for the female game and how important it is we celebrate a day like today. I think the you know the main difficulty is obviously the ability for girls and women to play. You know, that's you know, at the end of the day as a as a domestic um, organisation that runs the girls and women's game, that's the key aim and facility of what we do, which is more girls and women playing and, and more girls and women's um, you know, involvement. Girls and women's football have come a, a very, very long way. There's um, still a lot more work to be done, which is, you know, why we as an organisation, as I say, our key guiding principles are have more people playing and, and more people watching um, girls and women's football. That was Robert Wilson talking to our sports reporter Kerry Pollock about the 35th anniversary of Women in Sport. And now here's Nicole Watson with some more of today's more local stories. A Police Scotland spokesperson has announced that three men have been arrested following a fatal crash that took place in the summer. 
The collision in West Lothian, which involved three cars and two motorbikes, led to the death of Fiona Reid from Seafield. A £500 Covid grant to substitute for loss of earnings due to self-isolation is now available to all workers who earn the real living wage. The Scottish Government increased the eligibility for the grant which was already available to low-income workers. Only a quarter of applications for the grant had been approved in its first two months. We spoke with two Edinburgh workers to find out their experience with accessing the grant. I've had to isolate once um, back last year um, due to just symptoms and yeah I was kind of behind with bills and things um, but it would definitely have been help last, helpful last year when I needed it. <laughs> An Edinburgh based nursery assistant worker shared her experience with trying to access the grant. During the tail end of the Christmas period I had to self-isolate for two weeks just as I was about to return to work and that was basically the beginning of the horrible financial situation that I'm in now. Technically, I should have been eligible for the £500 uh, self-isolation grant, but the government have made a 28-day cut-off and backtrack this now to the 2nd of February, and my 28 days expired at the end of January. So I, I just find it sickening. It has been revealed that Valdena, the vaccine firm in West Lothian that Boris Johnson visited last week, had a reported COVID outbreak only 24 hours prior to his arrival. The Daily Record reported that 14 cases had been identified in the lab. NHS Lothian confirmed that an incident management team was called to the site and found cases which dated back to January the 16th. Labour MSP Neil Finlay shared his thoughts on the Prime Minister's actions with EN4 News. I find it absolutely extraordinary that Boris Johnson would go to a production plant in Livingston in the full knowledge that 14 people there had got COVID and that an incident management team was in trying to manage the situation. This guy is the Prime Minister who's overseen the deaths of 100,000 of our citizens. And he is the one who's telling people that they can't visit their relatives and that they shouldn't be travelling outside. And yet, with the full knowledge that there was an outbreak, he uh, undertakes a public relations trip. It is absolutely extraordinary. Valvena's Chief Financial Officer David Lawrence stated that all aspects of Boris Johnson's visit were safe and indeed COVID compliant. That's all we have for today for our local news. Now back to David with your weather and travel updates. That was Nicole Watson with some of today's local stories. And now time for the weather. Edinburgh will be met with rain and sleet throughout today which will continue into the evening. The Pentlands and other high ground will likely be blanketed in significant snowfall but we won't see any of that in the city until the weekend. What's more, there are set to be strong easterly winds today as temperatures are expected to peak at 4 degrees and with a low of 1. And in travel news, the south of Edinburgh was congested again this morning by commuters travelling northbound from Dander Hall and southbound from the Inch. Temporary traffic lights at Gilmerton Road have led to queues throughout today. The traffic lights are due to be removed at 7pm this evening, so Gilmerton Road may be your best route if commuting southbound tonight. And finally, on today's EN4 News programme, the beginning of a new relationship is normally full of butterflies in the stomach, warm embraces and stolen kisses. But in pandemic times, this has proven to be rather difficult, yet some of us are still making it work. Earlier this year, Italian lovers Paola Agnelli and Michele de Lapos fell in love while on separate balconies. Their love story began in Italy's deepest lockdown restrictions and got me wondering, how does socially distance dating work? And what can you do if you can't seem to find your perfect day on the neighbouring balcony? Here to tell us more about the world of digital dating, here's our reporter, Rebecca Axerup. You lock eyes in a crowded room and all of a sudden the world stops. 
There you are, in the middle of the dance floor, and you've just met your perfect match. Normally, this might have been how you would have met someone, but alas, once again, the COVID-19 pandemic has made life more difficult. Since the pandemic began, the dating scene has drastically changed. Instead of meeting someone in real life, you now decide who to date based on an online profile. For Shannon, her relationship began in lockdown. Never actually had a chance to hang out with this person in the, in the physical. And it kind of made things exciting. And we grew close really, really quickly, more quickly than I think you would in person, because all we had was time during lockdown. Despite their digital love story having a great start, the romance faded in real life. When we did finally meet up, I wasn't sure what to expect. I'd grew such intense feelings for this person I'd never physically touched. It was crazy for me. I, I wanted to be the perfect girlfriend for this person that I loved so deeply. But when I met him, he wasn't how I remembered. I didn't remember his face being like that. Even though we'd had photos, the photos had kind of distorted the person I'd met in person. And the first thing he said to me was, Oh, I thought you were smaller. And I was thinking, I thought you were taller. So despite their efforts to make the relationship work, it soon ended. So how does one maintain meaningful relationships in lockdown? Liam Beatty matched with his current partner on a dating app back in November 2019. They never had a chance to meet up before lockdown, but once they were allowed to, Liam and his partner went on their first ever date. A socially distant walk in the park. <laughs> and Liam, what was that like? A socially distant walk is quite different from a traditional first date. Very unusual. Um, going on any first date is a very nerve-wracking experience, but to then throw in the you know stresses of doing this in the middle of a pandemic, um, it did make it a very um, quite intense experience. So I did, yeah, we'd meet each other again. In line with the ability to form a bubble, we then formed a bubble with um, to, like actually hug each other and give each other a kiss for the first time, which felt amazing. Meeting someone online for the first time can be quite daunting. So what are some of the ways you can flirt online? Jean Smith is the founder of Flirtology and she told me about the impact lockdown is having on flirting. As far as for flirting then, it just means that the little things can be a lot more powerful. If you're flirting with a mask on, there's not much to pay attention to except the eyes. So maybe even giving someone a little wink or just, you know, when we're attracted to someone, our pupils dilate. So the thing about flirting is you've got to show some sexuality. That is part of what flirting is, which means people might feel a bit vulnerable showing I like you or this is who I am. So with that advice in mind, remember, the best way to flirt is with confidence. Thanks for that. I'm sure we'll all be much better now at navigating the digital dating scene. That was our reporter Rebecca Axrop on how digital dating is changing during the pandemic. And that's all we have time for for today's EN4 News programme. As always, you can find more of today's top stories at en4news.com. I'm David Hogg, and for myself and the rest of the team here at EN4 News, enjoy the rest of your evening. This is Radio Energy News. Oh, 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 oh